Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Thank you, Abergy. That's good. I love it. This is a fun, fun family place, so we're so glad that you're here. Now, today is Memorial Day, and I want to take a moment to acknowledge what we celebrate on this day, but we think of all the people who have sacrificed of their time, their family, their very lives to protect um, our country, our freedoms, and those who have done it over the years, those who are doing it even today. So let's just take a moment before we start on our message and just have a moment of silence and remembrance and and honoring those who have served our country. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for taking, for us to take the time, Lord, to honor those who live sacrificially for us. Father, today we think of the people who um, take on this difficult task to go to war, to protect, to do some actually very, very difficult things so that we can enjoy our freedoms. And Lord, maybe there are people here today who have served. And Father, I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. And maybe people are here today who have lost someone or who have a family member who served. Father, may their memory, Lord, may their legacy, Father, be an encouragement and a strength to them. Lord, we are just grateful people. We wish there would be no wars. There would be no need for any kind of army. That's really our desire. But the world as it is, this is what we need to do. And so, Lord, we just want to honor those who step forward to do that work. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've been praying for you. As a chapel pastor, I've been asking God, you know, God... What do you want for us? What do you want us to be? What journey do you want to take us on? And the picture that God has put in my mind is the picture of a family. And, you know, I've actually prayed quite a bit, and this picture keeps coming up, and I, I have these kind of questions to God. I go, really, a family? Like, you know, there are some pretty messy families. You know, family is, it can be beautiful, right? Family can be this amazing beautiful thing where the the ties and the connections and the love and the experiences are fantastic. And when you see a family do great things together, when you watch a beautiful family, it's incredibly inspiring, isn't it? And if you're lucky to have one of those, that's fantastic. But also there are families that are very painful. The very same people that are supposed to be this tight-knit unit family, you know, connection, uh, this loving space can be very hurtful. And so in family, we experience pain and frustration, and we're stretched sometimes to the limits. And sometimes we even experience abuse. So, you know, when I think of family, my brain immediately goes to all of that. And I think, God, what kind of family do you want us to be? And I, I try to think about that, and I think, God, you know, in order for us to be a family, because we're people from all different backgrounds, different nationalities, different styles, You know, we have different tastes, what we like, what we don't like, what we think church to be. We have different ideas. And I think, God, in order for this to be a family, a good family, it's going to take you. 
It's going to take you getting in the middle of this. Because we're all very different. And you know what he said to me? He goes, I've done it before. I've done it in your life, Ines. And you know, it's true. My husband and I have a blended family. We've been married almost 13 years. And when we got married, uh, Jim's two daughters and my three children, I have a son and two daughters, we came together as a family. Now, you know, blended families, they come with all kinds of baggage. And we had baggage. And it took us several years to even try to, like, be in the same room and be okay with each other, you know? And then we had to be intentional over the next years. And a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of prayer. A lot of prayer. And a lot of God's hand on it for this family to come together and become some sort of a family. And then our children, four of our children are married. Two of them, Jim's two oldest daughters, married men that had other children. So our grandchildren are blended. So we have six grandchildren, three from other marriages and three from our kids. And so you can imagine, we call ourselves the smoothie family because, you know, now it's like so many different parts here. It's hard to, to even imagine. But God has done something amazing in our family. And I can't tell you that our family is perfect. It's not there's all kinds of issues still because, again, we came together in a way that it's not the way God intended, right? But God in his sovereignty has enabled to do something beautiful out of our family. And I think God reminded me of that because he says, to me, as I can do anything. Nothing is impossible with me. And so as I was thinking and praying about this, this I, as we're continuing on the series of things that Jesus said that we wish he hadn't said, I was thinking, did Jesus talk about family? And he did. In fact, all the Gospels uh, tell about a time when Jesus talked about family. And so today we're going to study from Scripture, what is this family that we're supposed to be? What is the family of God supposed to look like? And how are we to come together as one and, and be that beautiful family that God wants us to be? So if you have your Bibles, go if you would to Mark chapter 3. And what I'm going to do is we're going, to we're going to look at this scripture, we're going to study it for a few minutes, and then we're going to talk about, in a practical matter, what does it look like for us, look around this room, for us to be a family. So first we're going to study the passage. So chapter 3 in Mark, verse 20. I'm going to read the whole thing through first. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. The teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up, and then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven for all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this, because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to, in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. 
Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Mm, the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we read your word this morning and we look at the picture of the family of God that we are part of, Father, I pray that it is you that speaks to us this morning. Father, it is only you that can make us, this motley crew of people, into a family, a beautiful family. So, Lord, through your word this morning, speak to our hearts. Bind us together. Bring us and make us into a family. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a little bit of context. We already see that Jesus by now had become quite famous, right? Lots of people are following him. And it makes sense. He had done many miracles by now. If you just read Mark, Mark starts right away with a miracle after miracle that Jesus is doing. And now people are following, looking to hear more what he has to say and see what he's doing. So many people follow them that we see this picture of them coming out from the desert into the city, into this house. And now there's so much going on in this house, they don't even have time to eat. They're just overwhelmed by the crowd. And we're told that when his family, this is in verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. I mean, the family was like, okay, Jesus, you've gone way too far. This is too much. You're going to hurt yourself. We've got to get you out. And so they come to take charge of him. They think he has lost his mind. He's gone crazy. And you know, the, already Jesus had a reputation, and it always, wasn't always good. The teachers of the law also had some thoughts about him. We're told in verse 22. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is diving out demons. Now, you know, this word, Beelzebul, is a Greek form of a Hebrew word called Baalzebub. And that means Lord of the flies. Now, to us, it makes no sense. But in that time, that was synonymous for Satan. And they were basically saying that Jesus was possessed by the Lord of demons, the greatest of all demons, Satan's. He is accused of being possessed. They're attributing, in fact, to Satan the, the things that Jesus is doing, which is God's redemptive power on earth. They're attributing that to Satan and not to God, which is why Jesus makes this huge statement, those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. Because, listen, they're not just rejecting Jesus they're rejecting God and what God is doing. And when, while Jesus is trying to have a discussion with the, the people in the room, his family arrives. In verse 31, we're told, Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrive, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. They couldn't even get inside. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Listen, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Two times we're told, two times, that Jesus' mother and his brothers are outside. They're not inside. They're not sitting around Jesus. They're not hearing from Jesus. They're not leaning in. They're not following Jesus. They're outside. Mark is making a very clear insider-outsider picture for us. He's making a comparison in the way he tells us this story because really all throughout the, the gospel according to Mark, he makes it clear that those who were on the outside were the ones who did not understand all that Jesus was doing, the ones who questioned him. Specifically, Mark talks about the scribes and the Pharisees, but in this passage we're told even Jesus' mother and his brothers were outside. 
Now, I get it. I get why Jesus' brothers might have been on the outside, because listen, what would it take for you to believe that your brother is the son of God? But Jesus' mother, his very mother, the one who, who was made pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit, who heard these incredible promises about her son, who watched her son grow up with wisdom and stature, who saw him do some miracles, specifically making water into wine, why would she be on the outside? You see, she did not always understand what God was calling Jesus to do. His calling was not always clear to those who were even the closest to him. And so she comes, they come, they find themselves on the outside, maybe even rubbing elbows with the scribes and the Pharisees, the same people who were accusing Jesus of all kinds of things, and there they are saying, he has lost his mind. They join him with the same voice, essentially saying, okay, Jesus, you've gone too far, this has to change. We come to take charge of you. Like in the language here is so vivid. Could you imagine? It's like going into the room, if they could, and grabbing Jesus by the ear and saying, come on, we're going out. I mean, that's what a mom would do. It's, okay, I do that to my kids. That's probably not right. Well, essentially what Mary is doing, she pulls out the family card, right? When my kids were teenagers and they didn't want to hang out the family events, I would pull out the family card and go, listen, this is when I get to say what you get to do, because this is family time. And so Jesus' mother pulls out the family card, and now Jesus has to make a decision. Now the family has pulled the family card, interrupted this incredible discussion, and now what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to get up and go outside and be a good boy? No, he doesn't do that. He, does, he responds the way Jesus always does to difficult questions. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Don't you wish, wish Jesus didn't say that? It sounds disrespectful, doesn't it? It sounds a bit harsh to say that. When Jesus is told that his mother and his brothers are outside, it seems like he doesn't really care. He seems strangely unconcerned that they're outside and worried about him. It almost feels like did he disown his family because they were on the outside? No, I don't think so. We see in scripture that when Jesus was on the cross, he cared for his mother. He told James, take care of your mother. We see this in John. Rather, I believe the issue is not that Jesus was disowning the family, but as it is always with Jesus, whenever he answers a tough question with a question, he's about to reveal a powerful truth. And so we're about to see the next thing that Jesus does is a powerful truth for you and for me. Verse 34, then Jesus, then he looked, Jesus, at those seated in a circle around him and said, oh, would you read this with me? Let's read this together. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will, God's will, is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' life and mission revolved around doing the will of God. We're told in Scripture Jesus did nothing that the Father was not doing himself. And he is essentially saying, those who are my family are those who are doing the will of God just as I am. The word there for will is thelema, which means God's desire, God's heart, what God wants us to do. You know, there's commands that we have in Scripture. We talked about this last week. There's, there's another word for will in Scripture, which is God's commands, those who follow the rules. But this is not what Jesus is saying here. It's not those who follow the rules, those who seek after God's heart. 
to do what God desires us to do. That word, thelema, it's about a deep desire. And the only way for us to be able to do what God desires is we have to know him. We have to be close to him. We have to be on the inside. We have to circle him. That's the only way. So Jesus said, these are the people right here, the ones who are close, the ones who are listening, the ones who are following. They are seeking after God's heart. They are my family. And essentially what Jesus does is he redefines family altogether. And this word, uh, it says whoever, we're told, whoever does God's will. It should encourage us, which means really it makes no difference the color of your skin or your socioeconomic status or your nationality. You can see that Jesus is welcoming the, the thief, the liar, the drunks, the prisoners, the adulterers, and the murderers. They can become parts of his family because if they choose to do God's will, they're part of his family. So it should encourage every single one of us, all of us, any one of you, who is willing to do the will of God, the desires of God, you're automatically included in Jesus' family. Romans tells us that when we accept the grace of Jesus Christ, we become children of God, brothers and sisters of the kingdom. Now, you know, see, Jesus reveals something quite remarkable here, doesn't he? There is now an eternal and spiritual family that supersedes our family of origin. That's better than... and. When we receive Jesus in our hearts, by faith, we're born again into this spiritual family, a family that lasts forever. And the love that we have for each other, other members of the family, it needs to be greater than the love we share with our earthly family, with our family of origin. Last night, I was actually at an event, at a wedding with John uh, Townsend. Anybody know John Townsend? Very wise man. I'm going to quote him this morning. He says, Our spiritual family fills in the gaps left open by our earthly family. The family of God can do for us what our family of origin cannot. So it's not that our family of origin is not important, but now with our spiritual family, we have the complete picture of what family is supposed to be in the spirit of God. And you see, God has a huge, huge family. No matter where you travel, no matter where you go, you get to visit and know some of those family members. In fact, Jim and I get to travel, the privilege of traveling. Not so much now because I'm the pastor here at the chapel, but, you know, we've traveled lots of places. And a couple of years ago, we went to India, to the south of India. And the minute we landed on, at the airport, uh, we were picked up by Sam, who said, we're going to go to a seminary up in the mountains to visit the seminary students. Sam is a Christian. The seminary students are learning about God's word so they can go back to their areas where they live and start churches. So we get on this road, and he told us it's going to be three hours. It turned out to be 12 hours. Uh, But at hour eight, we're like really now, like we need a restroom. You know what I'm saying? It's like that was a long, long drive. And it was foggy. It was raining. It was dangerous. And there was no place to stop. And so Sam goes, you know, actually up ahead, there is a Christian family that I know. I went to school with their son. Let's see if we can stop by their home and, and use their restroom. So she calls ahead, and sure enough, thank goodness, their home. Well, of course, it was 11 p.m., so they should be. And so we get to their home. They open their home for us. And what was supposed to be a quick stop, a restroom pit, pit stop and go, ended up being almost an hour of conversation of sharing stories, of getting to know each other. Here we are in the southern part of India, up in the mountains at 11 p.m. at night with people we've never met, 
and we're family. And it doesn't end there. Then we end up at the seminary the next morning. And I have a picture of these young men. Look at this group of guys. These are men who are in the seminary out in the middle of nowhere in India, learning about God's word, learning what it takes to start a church. Every single one of them is going to go off in different directions. They get a Bible and a bike, and they go and they start a church somewhere in India. Most of them are from northern India, where the persecution of Christians is huge. Churches are burned. Villages are burned. And most of these guys will probably pay for their discipleship for their following of Jesus with their very life. And it's possible. I may never see one of these guys ever again in this lifetime, but hey, they are part of our eternal, never-ending family, and one day we will meet again and share some stories. Wherever we go, this is the family of God. It's huge. It's everywhere, all over the world. And while we are a family here in this space, we're not just a family for our own sake. We're a family to be part of the greater family that God has all over the world. Yes. <laughs> Ephesians 2, I, yes, Ephesians 2 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. This is God's home. We are part of his household. We are brothers and sisters. And listen, I get it. We may not like some of the new members to the family. Some of them might be the most irritating people you've ever met. And we're going to have the weird uncle, and we're going to have the over-talkative aunt, and we're going to have different tastes and styles, and and it's going to get challenging. I know. But it's also going to be beautiful. We are that family. And this is my desire for us as that family. Three things. One is that we understand that we belong in this family. We belong in this family. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Every single one of you matters in this family. No one of you is more important than the other. Every one of you is part of this family. Romans 12 puts it this way. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each and every one of us. We belong to each other. Every part Matters. You know, I, I think about this and I think, Jesus, you want your body, your, you want to be seen by the world, and you form yourself by this motley crew of people. You, you think about that for a minute. He's like, this is Jesus saying, my PR campaign is all of you. The world is going to know about my love and my power through you. How you come together as the body of Christ. And so we, as a family, we belong together. You belong to me. I belong to you. Please look around the room. Please look at each other. Tell the person next to you, you belong to me. I'm not a big fan of doing that kind of crosstalk, but listen, today, it's important. We belong to each other. When someone walks through these doors, I don't know how many of you are brand new to the chapel today. I hope you know today, you belong here. 
You're not here by accident. I've had some meetings with some of the congregants over the last few weeks, which has been such a joy. And I've asked you, why are you at the chapel? What has drawn you to the chapel? Most people can't explain it. They can just, you know, in fact, their friends go, you go to the chapel? Why do you go to the chapel? There's a service over there. They can't explain it, and yet they know this is where they belong. This is where you belong. It means we work together for the benefit of the entire family, not just this family, Mariner's family, not just Mariner's family, but the entire church, the whole body of Christ around the world. That is why we're together, and we are inviters, right? It means we, we tell people, this is where you need to be. This is where you belong. This is home. Come. Come to a place where you will feel loved and connected, and it's going to be messy. Of course it's going to be a little messy, but it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. The second thing, my desire for this chapel is that we're engaged, that we're fruitful. John 15 says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Colossians 2 says this, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It means that we don't come to the chapel to be entertained. We come to experience God's presence. We come with great anticipation that our faith will be grown right here in this space, that we will be stretched beyond our borders, that we will ask God to create in us a pure heart. We're going to be open people to say, God, make us fruitful It isn't a place to come and sit in the back and go, I'm just going to, no offense to those in the back, because there's some very good-looking people back there. Okay, sit wherever. It's not a place to come and just sit and not, not connect, not engage. You belong here, yes, but you belong to be engaged, to make a difference in someone else's life. We begin here with each other, and then we make a difference outside of this place. That's what we're here to do. You see, that's why we have rooted. That's why we have life groups. Listen, this fall, I'm going to be on you. I'm going to be on you to make sure if you haven't done rooted, that you do rooted. Maybe we've come up with a rooted for the chapel. I'm going to be on you to be in some sort of a life group. It's absolutely the most powerful way for us to experience community, to be together with a smaller group of people. And then, most importantly, the only way we're going to be able to be this family that God is calling us to be is through prayer. You know, there's some things you cannot accomplish unless you're in prayer. You don't believe me, do you? Okay, I want to hear an amen to that. There are some things we cannot accomplish unless we're committed to prayer. A vision that God gave me as I took on this role is out of Isaiah 60 that says, my house will be known as a house of prayer. All nations will come to it, to its light. This should be known as a house of prayer. When people ask you, why do you go to chapel? I go there because that's a house of prayer. I go there because that's where I see life change. I go there because that's where my family hangs out. I go there because that's where I'm engaged. I go there because that's where I'm on my knees to experience God's presence. And the last third point is missional. This isn't about us. Of course, we're here together and we're a little gathering. And we can get super close together, but you know, listen, so do cults. So do clicks. I don't want that. Let's be really clear. 
I want us to get really close to each other. I want us to have fun. I want us to really get to know each other. I want us to cry with each other. I want us to rejoice with each other. I want us to like each other so much we want to hang out after the service on Sunday in the afternoon or on Wednesday for a little cup of coffee, whatever. I want us to be that close. And yet, I want us to be that close not for us but for the world. I want us to be that close so that as a body of Christ, we can look out and we can care for the poor and the needy in our community. That we bond together and we take some sort of cause, something that excites us as a group, and we take it on, and that becomes our missional focus. And so this year, I've got these ideas of different ways in which we as a chapel community can engage, not because I think those are the ones, because I want to explore what what makes us excited? You know, when you talk to someone and they, they get all excited about something, you're, you're having a conversation and you see them light up and you go, oh, that's something that matters to you a lot. I want to see you guys light up. I want to know what it is that lights up this community because when we all light up, oh, think of what we could do. Think of what, what we could be for others, who we can impact. I mean, we're a little bunch, but we could pack a punch. What if, what if you decided this morning, I'm in? That's my question for you. Are you in? Do you want to be part of this family? And listen, there's a chance that some people won't understand your decision. When we say yes to be part of Jesus' family, stuff is going to come at us. Chances are there's going to be all kinds of obstructions and ways in which we might get uh, hurt in the process or even discouraged in the process. The most extreme version of this we see it in 1 Peter. It says, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. That's what I want us. When we say we're in... We're in no matter the cost. We're in for the long haul. We're in accepting that there might be some challenges on the road. We're in when people will go, why do you go there again? We're in. It's possible that some of your family, your family of origin might think you've lost your mind as you become a Christian. And I'm thinking there are probably stories right here of you who have family members who look at you and you as a Christian and go, you're just gone way too far. You've lost your mind. All of us have friends or family members who look at us that way. My hairstylist looks at me that way. When I, t- when I sit there and my hair is being colored, yes, I do color my hair, and I'm going through my sermon as I'm doing that, they think I'm absolutely crazy. There's a chance that this could happen, that some of them are going to look at you and, and want to take you home, want to take you from the ear and go, you've lost your mind, let's go. Let's get back to reality here. But I pray that you have the courage to respond as Jesus did. To say, this is my family. This is where I belong. This is where I'm engaged. This is how we together as a group are caring for the world. What if you looked at these people sitting around you? Maybe not the person right next to you, because I'm guessing you came together, but look around another way and go, wow, that person, yes. What if you looked at those people and you looked at them as your family 
and you commit it to doing God's will, God's desire together. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.